want it any other way. How about you? Right? The Lord wouldn't want it any other way. You know, with God, there is no plan B. You realize that with God, there's only plan A. He only has one plan. And uh, we're the ones that need to make the adjustment to that plan, right? He has one purpose, but we have to adjust our life to his purpose. And uh, so I love that video because it really does kind of convey through imagery what God can do when we work together. Right, church? Right, I'm gonna share a message with you this morning. Uh, And in sharing this message, I wanna start with a graphic. This graphic was shared with me before my surgery, actually. It was shared with me by a friend and uh, sent it to me, letting me know that he was praying for me. And I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Some of you may know what that is. Others of you, that may be the first time you're seeing it. It's sort of a a cryptic-looking message or artwork, and um, literally, it's an acronym that is in symbolic form, if you will. And the symbolic phrase that it represents is this. The G is God. The next sign is the greater sign. The next sign on the right is, obviously, it looks like a hill, right? The other looks like a valley. So it's God is greater than the highs and the lows. And he is. Because as I shared, I, I had that actually sent to me by a friend who said, I'm praying for you. And, and I focused on that. I focused on that leading up to my surgery. I focused on that as I was recovering from my surgery and the highs and the lows of this last month. It's been a month. Man, it feels more like it's been six months <laughs> to me personally. It's like, oh my word. If, if I would have known, maybe I would not have put myself through this. But Unfortunately, that wasn't even an option. I had to go through this. But you know what, friends? God has proven himself time and time again through this last month leading up to it and and every moment since. And he has revealed to me that this cryptic message on the screen right now is true. It's true. And so I want to share a message with you this morning that uh, literally relates to this. And it's the fact that God will prove it to be true. He will prove in my life, he will prove in your life that he is greater than the highs and the lows. He will prove it. He will be God and he will make a way where there seems to be no way. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. And I believe that this is true for us individually, but I believe it's also true for us as a church, as this church, but also big picture, the church at large. It's true. God is greater than the ups and the downs that we go through individually or church-wide. It's applicable whether we're in a good season or whether we're in a difficult time. Listen, listen, no matter how bad things are for you right now, no matter how big the challenge is, you need to continue to believe, to believe and stay the course in faith because God is greater than the highs and the lows. So I'm gonna kick this three-week series off. I'm gonna start a three-week series this morning. I'm gonna kick it off again with this thought in mind. God will prove it. He will prove it to me. He will prove it to you because God is greater than the highs and the lows. And, And while there's no one particular passage of scripture that this statement, this phrase, this cryptic artwork comes from, it comes from various passages, if you will. But here's, here's where I want us to go this morning. I want us to go to 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. 
And we can trace this back to, it's a narrative really of two battles, two battles in chapter 20. And the expression actually, God is greater than the highs and the lows for this message, it could actually be better said that God is greater than the hills and the valleys. He's greater than the hills and the valleys. Essentially saying that God is sovereign. He is a sovereign power and he is not limited or confined to any one location or any one sphere of influence. The Lord Almighty rules and reigns supremely over every place on earth, every hill, every valley, and every place in between. So let's look at this a little bit and I'm gonna kind of give you a background real quick. A lot, of, a lot of meat to the chapter, but I'm just going to kind of hit the high points real quick. Let me set, set the background for you. Uh, the ancient pagan nations actually perceived and they believed that gods or goddesses uh, would have a particular domain in which they reigned or ruled over. So in other words, they didn't believe that there was one God who was God over everything. Right? They believe that you may have a God who is a God or a goddess over the sky or a God or a goddess over the water. You didn't have the same God that was a God or goddess over both. That's what the, uh, the ancient pagan nations actually perceived. In that cultural framework, monotheism, which is a belief in one true God or one God reigning over all, that was a unique concept for anybody and everybody except for the people of God. And the people of God kind of struggled and wrestled with that even to, to realize fully that that was truth. In other words, that, that even God's people sometimes really wrestled with the fact of, is he, is he really God for me in this situation or in that situation? And so what we see here is that the chosen, the chosen believers, the people of God, actually believed in one true God, but even they struggled to believe that he would prove himself to them. And so this is a perfect chapter for us to look at for God to prove that he is greater than the hills and the valleys, and he is greater than the ups and the downs. And so this chapter opens up with King Ben-Hadad, ruler of Aram, attacking the city of Samaria in Israel. And Samaria, as we know, is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. So Benadad begins to make demands on King Ahab. And his demands are that he would surrender his wealth, he would surrender his wives, and he would surrender his children. Initially, Ahab agrees. I should tell you something about Ahab right there. Now, if you know anything about the kings of Israel, you know Ahab was not the sharpest tool in the, in the toolkit. Yeah, this is the same Ahab that was married to Jezebel. Need I say more? Right? So Ahab was, was not a godly king. He had some major issues. And Israel sort of struggled under his leadership in many, many ways. And, but what we see here is that God is bigger than a King Ahab. Hello? God is bigger than somebody like Ahab. So actually, there, there can be a few bright moments with Ahab, and we see one of these because King Benadad actually said, no, you know what? He gets a little too greedy here, and he says, I want access to everything that is yours. I want access to everything that is yours. Well, obviously, uh, King Ahab, for a moment, came to his senses and 
consulted with some of his, you know, consultants, and they said, absolutely not. Don't give him everything. What's the matter with you? You know, they didn't say that exactly, but a little, a little bit of a, a flowery conversation here. Of course, they, it's not printed in there, but it's, it is referred to that here is a king who's willing to surrender everything to the enemy king. Thank God that somebody stood up against him, right? His refusal infuriates Benadad. So much so that he says this. Listen, he says, may the God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each of my men a handful. You know, friends, this is actually a formula for a curse. It really is. In other words, he's making a curse upon the king of Israel and the people of Israel. But then God intervenes. And it says here that an unnamed prophet comes to King Ahab. And he, and he says that, that God will grant Israel victory. That's what it says. And we're going to see this in ver, verse 13. It says this in verse 13. Go with me there, if you will. Bring it up, if you will. Thank you. You will know that I am the Lord. Now, that is a phrase that we can see at different times through Scripture, through different people. Every time I read that, I love it because it reminds me that he is God and we are not. Amen. Right? And that he is the one that ultimately brings victory. You will know. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to prove to you that I am who I say I am. You will know that I am the Lord. In this instance, King Ahab obeys God even though he failed to seek God. <laughs> That's an interesting side note. He failed to seek the Lord. God of Israel moved on behalf of his chosen people anyway. True to God's promise, the enemy is literally driven back and the siege is brought to an end. Because Samaria is in the hill country of Israel, the Arameans mistakenly believe that God, the God of Israel, is only the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys. And so they thought, we didn't get him there, but we'll get him over here. Yet they didn't understand this concept of the one true God reigning and ruling over every place, everywhere, over everyone. Thinking of Israel's ability to triumph was limited to a higher terrain. Enemies strengthened their forces to attack the plains or in the valley. Once more, an anonymous prophet. I love this, an anonymous prophet. God sometimes works anonymously, right? Not only does he work mysteriously, sometimes he works anonymously, doesn't he? And this prophet warns King Ahab that Benadad's army will strike again in the spring. And so Israel's ready. They're not caught off guard by this surprise attack. They're ready. And it says this in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28. It says, this is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. That's a great promise, is it not? God makes a promise that regardless of where the enemy tries to attack them, he will prove that he is God and that he reigns not only in the hill country, but also in the plains or in the valley, that he reigns supremely. The one true God proves that he is ruler of all. 
Abinadad's forces were so defeated, so defeated when they attacked, thoroughly defeated in this second battle, that the king surrendered to Ahab, and he literally begged for his life, pleading for his life to be spared. So God gave victory, both in Samaria, the hill country, but also, also in Aphek, which is in the valley, in the plains of the valley, to show that unlike the inferior pagan deities, God is sovereign over all territories and over all regions. He is all-powerful. He is the infinite ruler of the whole earth. I'm going to take this off. I'm getting too hot. I'm sorry. It's too hot up here. That's better. Goodness. God pledged through his prophet that he would rescue the Israelites by doing what seemed to be impossible. You know what, church? That's good news for you and me. Because sometimes we get into these situations that look like a complete impossibility. What is God going to do? How is God going to move? How is God going to rescue me? How is God going to rescue the church? How is God, what's God, what is, what's going on? Have you ever just said that before? Lord, what's going on? But God intervened in this situation. And again, I love the words. I will deliver. I will deliver. Say that with me. I will deliver. That's, that's what the Lord says. I will deliver. But I love that then you will know that I am the Lord. Sometimes, friends, we got to trust God come through for us in a way that, that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was no other way that it could even be possible except for the fact that God did it. But fortunately or unfortunately, that, that's not up to us how God works, Right? There are times that we think, okay, God, but if you could please do this at this moment, or Lord, if you could have a conversation with this person so that this situation could turn around, or sometimes God says, you know what? You may not understand how I'm working, what I'm doing, but I got it. I got it. If you just trust me, I will deliver you, and I will prove to you, I will prove to you that I am God. I am the God of the highs and the lows. I am the God of the hills and the valleys. Now, verse 29 tells us that this second battle, Israel, Israel, they just plundered the Arameans. In verse 29, it says that even though they were greatly outnumbered, let's not overlook that. They were greatly outnumbered. In other words, the Aramean foot soldiers, they way outnumbered the army that Israel had. Way outnumbered them. But we see here that even though they were outnumbered, the Israelites inflicted 100,000 casualties on one day. One day. That's God, friends. God intervened, right? And then if that wasn't enough, and I read this yesterday, I'm like, oh my goodness, this just, this just gets better and better. In verse 30, it says, the rest of them escaped to the city of Aphek, where the wall collapsed on 27,000 of them. So 27,000 of them got away, or so they thought, until the wall fell in on them. You know what, friends? You know why that brings encouragement to our, our, our hearts today? He's the same God. We serve the same God today. And the same God who intervened for them can intervene for us. The same God who was greater than the hills and the valleys for them is greater than our highs and our lows, our hills and our valleys. The same God. He is the same 
God. And he will prove himself to us just like he proved who he was to them. Because he reigns over everything. I love Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let me read that again. Bring it up on the screen, if you will, guys. There it is. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You know, I, I actually thought about us singing this song this morning, but sometimes I think of things too late. I'm, I'm a creative mindset, and sometimes the creative mindset works in the 11th hour. It's just the way it is. I've tried to change that, and I've gotten better at it, but sometimes ideas come to me way too late for us to do anything about it. But I remember singing this song back in the day when I was a worship pastor. I remember singing the song, and it was a great song. And I, we have the lyrics on the screen. Maybe you could just join me in the chorus of this, because I think this is what this message should be saying to us. And in the words of Chris Tomlin, it goes like this. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Remember singing that? Those words, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Now, we sang some other songs, actually, that do every bit of good as job as, as these words do at convincing us of that. I was paying attention to our worship today. And, and I'm just going to say to you, if, if you weren't really with us during worship, maybe you should go online and listen to the worship songs again. Because they are, they are filled with the word of God. They are filled with the word of God and they are filled with the potential that we have in him. We need to believe that. We need to embrace that fully. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Right? I want to take it into the New Testament for a moment. And I want to talk about a story found in John 5. Because there are some situations in our lives that seem to be irredeemable. Okay, nobody wants to admit that with me. You look it, at least, right? Hello? Are you out there? There's an example of that in chapter 5 of John. There was an invalid lying by the pool of Bethesda, and he had been there in that condition for a long, long time. The exact 38 years. He couldn't get anyone to help him into the pool when the water was stirred. And Jesus came on the scene. <laughs> I love when Jesus comes on the scene, don't you? Jesus comes on the scene and he asked the invalid, if he wanted to get well. I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I'm a little shocked by the response. Jesus is asking this guy, after 38 years, hey, bud, you want to be well? And instead of this guy saying, of course, yeah, please, he's like, starts making up excuses. Does that sound familiar? Now, granted, I, I want to... I wanna, I want to explain something to you. 38 years is a long time. And he had been in that valley for so long that he had lost hope. He lost hope that his condition was ever going to change. He didn't realize in that moment that Jesus had the potential to do it just like that. And his prolonged low moments made him believe that, you know what, I've asked for help, 
I've never received it yet, so why is that going to change now? Yet when we read what happens here, verses 5 through 7, it says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Maybe God is asking some of you today, Do you want me to take care of this situation? I don't know, maybe he's asking this question specifically. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want me to take care of this situation? Do you want me to resolve that friction? Do you want me to take care of this this relational discord? Do you want me to, do you want me to be God? Maybe he's asking those of us in this room this question and making it very personal on a level that you understand. What is God asking you this morning? Would you want me to intervene in this situation and prove that I am God? Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. I almost hear the sound of his voice too. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else gets in ahead of me. That's kind of the the mood or the feel of this moment that I get from this invalid. I love how Jesus just cuts to the chase, though. He's like, get up. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say, I'm fed up, but he says, get up, right? He says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Just like that, Jesus heals him. At once the man is cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. You know what this story says to me, friends? That sometimes God is trying to get us out of the valley, but we make every excuse why we want to stay there. We know, when we know that God is with us in all things, in all places, in all seasons of life, all through the trials and the tribulations, all the pain, all the suffering, God is there. And we, if we allow ourselves, can benefit from his touch and we can find rest for our souls. Right? We know from the promises of scripture that God is with us. In each and every situation, we see God in the good and the glorious and the bright and the beautiful circumstances that are occurring around us. But we can also see him very clearly if we look for him when things are not going so good. When we're suffering, when we're struggling with health issues, when we're fighting a battle at every turn, sometimes we're tempted to think that God is not with us. Sometimes we're thinking, God, you can't be for me because if you were for me, this wouldn't be happening to me. I've been there before. That's when we need to turn to his word, friends. That's when we need to find these passages of scripture where God proves himself to be who he says he's gonna be. Scripture's like Romans 8.31, and I'll go there in a minute, but I have a quote for you first. I came across this quote this week. Had one of those nights, it's been a little while, but I had one of these nights where I woke up and I couldn't go back to sleep. Oh, don't you just love those nights? I lay there for a while, I'm like, please, God, I just want to sleep, I just want to sleep. Lord, you know I need to sleep because my body needs to sleep so that I can heal, and I'm making excuses, Right? So finally, I'm like, okay, I'm getting up. I'm getting up. I'm going to go to the living room. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm just going to, Lord, what are you, what are you trying to speak? What are you, I came across this quote. Came across this quote. It was right on point, right on cue. 
is a quote by Craig Rochelle, and it says, when you realize that God is for you, you won't fear what happens to you because you know God is working in you. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I just about did a jig in my living room when I read this quote. When you realize that God is for you, you won't fear what happens to you because you know God is working in you. Well, show me some scripture that proves that statement to be true. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Romans 8:31 says, when then, what then rather, shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Come on somebody, right? Hello? Philippians 2.13 is another one that came to my mind. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I tell you what, I went from going, I can't sleep, I don't know what's going on, to going, thank you, Lord. And that's what happens, friends, when we go to God's word and we begin to see that God proves himself over and over and over again. And in those moments when we know not what to do, when we look to him and we say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know you got a plan in all of, the, of, all of this. And, and, and we hear those words, you will know that I am the Lord your God. I will do this and you will know that I am the Lord your God. I will prove it to you, Randy. And I believe he's saying that to each and every one of us in the room this morning. I will prove it to you. I will prove it to you. I shared this quote a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was in the service just for a limited time, but I shared this quote. I don't remember who said it. That's why I don't give credit to the person. But I read it at some point over the last couple of weeks and I thought, I love it. Your setback is God set up for your comeback. Your setback is God set up for your comeback. Oh, you need more scripture, do you? Okay, here's some scripture for you. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. And if that's not enough, 2 Timothy 1, the second part of verse 12 says this, for I know whom I have believed in and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. You know, some translations, it says against that day. In other words, against whatever happens, against whatever, whatever situation I'm in, I know that God will keep that which I have committed to him. Amen, church? Amen. Now, I wanna quickly go full circle back to 1 Kings chapter 20. Quick. Because there's something I wanna point out there. There's something I wanna point out that we find in these battles here, and we also find them in the battles of our own lives today. And the lesson that I want us to see from 1 Kings 20, above and beyond the fact that God is greater than our highs and lows, greater than our hills and valleys, is this. Listen, listen, write this down. Never underestimate the greatness of God. Never underestimate the greatness of God. But I need a healing. Never underestimate the greatness of God. But I need financial help. Never underestimate the greatness of God. But I got this relationship that is in never underestimate the greatness of God. 
My back's against the wall. I'm never underestimate the greatness of God. He is the God of the high places. He is the God in the low places, the highs, the lows, the hills, the valleys, and everywhere in between. He is God. Amen. Amen? We as Christ followers, we believe that Jesus is the son of God and we believe that he has made us victorious in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. I love that one song that we were singing during worship because sometimes we do have to speak to the mountains in our lives. And sometimes God waits for us to take the initiative before he acts. I don't understand that about him, but I know it's true. Sometimes God is saying, if you will make the first move, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on your behalf. Isn't that true? How many of you have seen that in your own lives? You know what I'm talking about. I believe that regardless of where you're at, what you're going through, that God is greater in your current circumstances. And, and just for a moment, just kind of think about your life. Okay, so what, what is it? What, what are the current circumstances that I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Is God going to, is he going to come through? Is he going to help me with this? Is he going to heal me with that? Is he going to think about that? And at the same time, realize that we should never underestimate his power, his ability to prove to us he is God. He is God in all situations, in all scenarios, highs, the lows, everything in between. I'm going to play a song for you this morning. And while this song is being played, matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to stand. You can stand for a few minutes this morning. You've been sitting for a little while. I'll ask you to stand while this song is played. It's a quick song. It's a song by Torrin Wells. And while it's not a song that was written in response to God being greater than the hills and the valleys, it sure does reinforce this thought. It's, it's simply called Hills and Valleys. And while this song is being played, if there's something specific that you need to seek the Lord for, I want you to step out from where you're at and to come down here to this altar and to seek the Lord for a few moments before we leave this place today. Now, let me just say this. The more of us that step out, the easier it is for all of us to step out, right? In other words, what I find that happens sometimes, I've been guilty of it in different settings. We go, well, nobody else is moving, so I think I'll just stay put because I don't want anybody to think the wrong thing of me. Really, you're going to be concerned about what somebody else is thinking about you. Don't. Don't be concerned about somebody else. Be concerned about where, where you're at and what God is saying to you. And the more of us that move, the easier it is for us to say, you know what? They're going, they're going, they're going. I'm good. Right? I'll make it easy for you. Let's just say I'm out here. Right? I'm hearing this myself. And I'm going, I got this situation. I got this situation. And it seems bigger than life right now. I hear what pastor's saying, but man, I don't, know, I don't know. If that's you, while this song is playing, just step out. Don't go. Who's moving with me? Look, I'm moving. Okay? Just come on up. Stand. Kneel. Pray together. Because God wants to intervene in each and every situation, wherever we're at, whatever we're going through. And if you don't feel led to step out, then I encourage you right there where you're at. 
in your seat. Or maybe to, to, to pray with some, maybe the Lord will be leading you to pray with someone else and, and you just want to pray right there. That, that's fine. But let's respond. As this song is sung, listen to the words and respond accordingly in the moment. Step out, step forward, or pray right there with one another in your seat. But let's all respond as the Lord would lead us to as this song is played. Okay, go ahead. among the shadows you wiped my tears away and I felt the pain of heartbreak and I've seen the brighter days and I pray prayers to heaven from my lowest place and I have held your blessings God you give and take away no matter what I have your grace is enough no matter where I am, I'm standing in your love On the mountains I will bow my life to the one who sent me there In the valley I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there When I'm standing on the mountain, I didn't get there on my own When I'm walking through the valley, I know I am not alone Your God of the Watch my dreams get broken In you I hope again No matter what I know I'm safe inside your hands On the mountains I will bow my life To the one who sent me there In the valley I will lift my eyes To the one who sees me there When I'm standing on the mountain I didn't get there on my own When I'm walking I will lift my eyes 